Jesus, we, uh, Lord, need you. And Lord, we do take this time now to study your word, to, to dig into the depths of, of what you have for us and what you have hidden within the, the nooks and crannies and words and syllables, Lord God, that we can discover. And Lord, it's not that we're trying to be magicians to pull things out of the text, Lord God, but you have a, a deep reservoir of thoughts towards us and of grace that you've given to us. And Lord, your word is living and active and more powerful and more sharp than any two-edged sword, and it can cut us right to the heart. And Lord God, even if I, have, uh, not, if I don't have the best words and if I don't have the best illustrations, or Lord God, your word and the text is so very powerful and faithful, Lord God, and you promise that your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish the thing which you sent it out to do. So, Lord, we ask that you would send out your word into our hearts now. God, you would change us, bring life to the places that are dead and and water to the places that are dry. Lord, we seek you and you alone. I ask for your grace. In your name I pray. Amen. Don't you guys wish that when you got saved, when you came to know the Lord, you got a badge? That said, or maybe not a badge, maybe a, like a, a, a coat or a jacket or some special vest that you could wear. Maybe a fancy bow tie. Something that, that could identify you as a believer to this world. I wish it was that easy. I wish that you, you came to know the Lord and out from heaven, the heavens would open and down would fall like a dove, a new shirt bright white, you know, and maybe with the cross on it, or what would Jesus do, or something, I don't know. I don't, I wish it was like that, because I'm always wanting to see what's going on. I'm always wanting the visual, or, or to hear it, or to feel it, to grasp it with my hands. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Some people get saved, and they're like, you know, they, one day they were cursing, drinking sailors, and they get saved, and the next day everything is different. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. And then other people get saved, and they don't feel any different. They don't, they don't necessarily see growth right away or massive change. And, and they can begin to wonder. In fact, I was like that. And maybe you were too. I got saved when I was in fifth grade. So I was not drinking. I, I wasn't into very many bad things. <laughs> it's really funny. Let me tell you the story of how I got saved, okay? So in fourth grade, I was going to public school down in Colorado Springs, and I used to have to walk a couple miles home from school, and there was like these storm, they have big storm drains down there, and there's like this five-foot-tall one, and it would go back, and it was like, you know, the, the hood, I didn't grow up in the hood, but the, the, the le- urban legend of the day with all the kids that if you went in there, you know, you could find, like, dead bodies. And, and I was a fourth grade little boy. I was like, this is so cool. I have to explore it. So on my way home, I had my basketball with me. Because I took it, I don't know why I took it to school, but I was on my way home from school one day, just a normal day, and I'm like, I'm going to go explore. I walked by it every day, and it just, the temptation grew. And I wasn't saved, unregenerate sinner, Gentile that I was. Walking, temptation, I must give in. So I went over there. I went in, and 
it, it branched off several times and I got lost. And a couple hours go by and I'm like, I'm going to get killed by my dad. He is going to just, oh, I'm going to be, I didn't get in trouble that much. So this was going to be a bad, bad, bad thing. I was so scared. I finally, I found a way to get up out of this thing. I threw my basketball up and I went up and I was inside like this fenced area with like a, uh, like a uh, corporate building. And so I, I found my way home and I went, but I didn't go home. I went to a friend's house and I, and I sobbing and I'm like, I need you to call my dad because I got abducted. I literally said this by a bunch of bigger kids. I said this. And so she called my dad. My dad came and picked me up, and I'm just crying. And she's like, are you okay? Everyone's real worried. So I get home, and when I get home, the police are there. And the police are like, you were abducted? Like, who, who took you? Who did this? And I'm like, I didn't see him. They put their hands over my eyes, so I couldn't see. I even said, they took me in the storm drains. <laughs> but I guess I was a really good liar. Because everyone believed me. The police are taking notes. My dad's... My mom heard about it. She, a few months go by, and they're like, you're not going back to public school. This, this is the hood, I guess, in the Springs. So, so they put me into Colorado Springs Christian School, and the first day of school, they say, we're a Christian school. Who, who's your first time in school? And I'm like, yeah, it's my first time in a Christian school. And they're like, well, here's what Jesus did. He died for you on the cross. Do you believe it? I was like, sure. I didn't know why not to. I'll believe it. And uh, I believed it. I prayed the sermon prayer and I got saved that day, first day of school. And uh, nothing, like, I, it wasn't some big magical thing, but I know that the Lord did hear me and I did mean it from my heart. I, was, I believed it was an easy thing. And so over the next few years, I, I began to grow. But it wasn't this big, all that to say, I wasn't crazy before and then got saved. I had one lie. Just No. But I often wondered, is there proof that I'm saved? Is there something that I can hold on to? And that's why I wish I would have gotten the name badge that said, I am now Saint Sean. That would have been great. You know, we have name badges. Maybe we should put Saint. That would be cool. Oh. Well, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and it's, it's given us some really neat lessons as we've been learning. And so it's all about what God has done for us. You know, it's, it's all that God, and when I say God, I mean the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if, if, you're, if you go in, you study this chapter as we have been, you'll find that it's divided into three sections. You have the will of the Father is first. And then you have the work of the Son and everything that he did. And that was verses 7 through 12. The, the first part, the will of the Father is verses 3 through 6. That he wanted to save you and he chose you. Then the work of the Son. And now we get into the section that's the witness of the Holy Spirit. So we know what the Father's role in our, our salvation was. And we know what Jesus' role. And we learned about him and the blood and all that. Now we learn about the Holy Spirit, which is kind of like the... The part that nobody understands. You know, they either think that the Holy Spirit is a, an inanimate force like the force in Star Wars. Or they think he's like, you know, water that just you have no control over. So he's either something you can control or something that just pours out all over and you can't control it at all. 
And, and there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the, the witness, the work of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to look at that today. So a little bit of recap into what God has done for us so far. You know, we've been mining for gold, searching out these glorious mysteries, and we've been rewarded as we've been searching, as we've been studying. He's, we learned that he chose us and predestined us and made us accepted. And we learned that he's redeemed us, forgiven us, and poured out his rich grace upon us. And he's made known to us the mystery of his will, how he decided all these things. And we learned about our inheritance that he's given us. And now we learn about the witness of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having also, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed by the Holy, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of your of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So he says, you also believe. So we back up one step and just to kind of connect that, he said, we first believed and we were to the praise. And he's talking about the Jewish people. Paul was one of the Jewish people, one of those first ones that believed. And he says, you also believe. So all you Gentiles, you also believed. And he says, in him you trusted. You see, the witness of the Holy Spirit is very intentional. And it's interesting because the first words of this section, the witness of the Holy Spirit, is actually in him, which is talking about Jesus. And that's very important because you can tell whenever the Holy Spirit is involved in something because all the attention goes towards Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that the Holy Spirit always pushes the attention back on Jesus? We always have to be careful about a message preached that draws the eyes to something besides Jesus, whether it's anything. You know, maybe a church is real big on a program, and that was the problem. You know, what was that 40 days? What was that, um, that book that was real? Purpose Driven Life. Okay, Purpose Driven Life was a real popular book. And if you read the book, it's not a bad book. But what happened is so many churches got obsessed with, we got to do this in the exact same way and do these days of purpose and and the attention in the book was on Jesus but in the churches they got their eyes off of Jesus and they made it about the book and about the program and about this that and the and we have to be so careful that we don't as our church that we don't let ourselves get our eyes off of Jesus and that's how we know we're being we're filled with the spirit you know that is that if we're a spirit-filled church it doesn't mean that we're always speaking in tongues or that we always have prophecies or lightning coming down. It's that the attention is always on Jesus. Did you know that? The attention is always on Jesus. I love that. In John fifteen 26, I'll read it to you. It says, But when the Helper comes, I shall, with whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Jesus said. So there's our proof text. That the Spirit, whenever He's working in your life, He's talking about Jesus. And here He says, In Him you trusted. Because Jesus is a person that we trust. We don't trust in a system or a religion. Every time we trust in a religion, we're actually trusting in ourselves. We, our own performance to a system of rules and regulations, that's what religion is. But He says, In Him you trusted. 
Not in, in Christianity you trusted, or in Judaism, or in the law. None of those things. But when you trust a person, as opposed to a system, you're actually free. You're free from all that performance-based work. Instead, you and I, we just trust a promise that a person made. And that's much easier when we think about it that way. That this whole getting saved and everything that God's done for us and salvation and the work of God is about just, you're just believing a promise. Just someone made you a promise. Hey, I'll be there. I'll be there at a certain time. And you believed it. And that's, and that's all it's about. It's a promise called, we're going to develop this a little bit, it's a promise called the gospel. That's the promise that you and I believe. So he says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he says, you heard the truth about your situation and you heard the solution. The word of truth was that you're a sinner, yet God loves you and wants a relationship with you and he's made provision for you in every way. He's become your salvation. And I hope that you all in here have heard the good news which is, that's actually what gospel means, is good news. And I hope that you've all heard this. And, and the amazing thing is, is that just by hearing the, the good news, the gospel, it says in the Bible that the gospel bears fruit. Just by hearing it. See, you're not responsible to convince someone to respond to the gospel. Did you know that? It's not your responsibility to convince people to follow Jesus. God says, that we just tell people, and he does all the work by the Holy Spirit of drawing them. And sometimes the hardest sinner will respond to the most simple communication of the gospel. And it honors the Lord when we just communicate the gospel to people. So we're going to do a little exercise here. Number one, why do we need to tell, why don't we tell people the gospel? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but who shared the gospel with someone this week? Who actually shared the gospel with someone? Number one, we are afraid, aren't we? We're afraid. Even though 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So when we're afraid, guess what? You're in the flesh. You're not in the spirit. The Spirit is never afraid. The Spirit hasn't, it doesn't lead us into fear. Number two, we're shy. We're just shy people. But yet, when the Spirit comes along, that doesn't matter. Because in 2 Corinthians 3.12, it says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Boldness of speech, not shy speech, not intimidated, but boldness. Bro, you need to get saved. Did you know that? You need to get saved? That's boldness of speech. Well, that's just not my personality. That's not how I work. You know, it's not naturally how we work. But if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we're going to look at a couple verses there. So go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4. Or dial it in on your iPad or your phone or whatever you're using for your scriptures. In Acts chapter 4, we see this amazing little beginning of the church. And in verse 13, 
you know, Peter and John, and they're, they're preaching the gospel. They have boldness. They've stepped out of their comfort zone, and they're preaching. And he, they say here in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness, the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. That's one of the greatest verses because they heard them preach and then the next thing they said is, wow, these guys are so smart. No, that's not what they said, is it? They said, these guys are not very smart. (laughs) These guys are uneducated and untrained. But the boldness that they preached with caused them to marvel and then they realized that they had been with Jesus. How did they realize that? Because they had the Holy Spirit inside them. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus, His Spirit, was inside them and giving them boldness. Giving them boldness. If you skip down to verse 29, it says, they're having a little prayer meeting after this, and they're just like ready to rock. And they say, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness... They may speak your word. So they pray for it. They ask for it. And maybe you're thinking, man, I'd love to be filled with the Spirit and be bold and telling people the gospel so that they can hear and they can believe and become believers, Christians. I'd love that. Well, let's pray for it. Because that's what they did. They prayed for it. And then look in verse 31. What happened? And when they had prayed, the place where they are assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What was the result of getting filled with the Holy Spirit? Everyone was happy. No. They knew all the answers. No. They were filled with boldness. Boldness. They asked for boldness, and they were filled, they were answered. God filled them with the Holy Spirit and his boldness. And we're all tasked with the job of telling people the gospel. It's not an optional command. Sometimes I think that, well, if I get around to it at the gas station and I don't ever have to see this guy again, maybe I'll muster up the boldness. But God doesn't want us just mustering up our own fleshly boldness, does he? No. He wants us seeking him for boldness. Seeking him in the quiet, in the closet, on your face with tears for the broken people that you're going to come across that day that you don't even know. And that when the moment comes, you'll be filled with the Spirit to give them the gospel. It's an act of love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So let's practice. Can you say this? There's a problem. Hey, friend, there's a problem. We're all sinners. We're separated from God because of our sin. Oh, I guess that is a problem. Hmm. This is how your conversation might go. But there's an answer. Jesus died for your sins. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for those sins. He paid a debt that, we didn't, that he didn't know because we owed a debt that he couldn't pay. Do you want to believe in Jesus? Do you want to believe what Jesus did for you? And that's it. 
That's it. You have given them the gospel. And you know what happens? I don't know. The Holy Spirit does stuff. He does crazy stuff in their heart. He draws them. He convicts them. He showers love on them and acceptance upon them. And I have no idea how any of it happens because it's all in the spiritual realm. But I was faithful to just give them the gospel. And it took me ten seconds. And maybe they hate you for the rest of your life. Maybe they won't. Who knows? I don't know. But the Lord asks us to be faithful in that. You shared the word of truth, the gospel of salvation to them. And they might respond, they might not. Who knows? But this is also a work of the Holy Spirit in the moment that someone believes. So in our text here, we're going from you share the gospel, okay, you trusted in him because the gospel was shared, so we learned how to do that. And then what happens immediately when they believe, when you believe, when I believe, it says, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. First, I love that here he's identified as the Holy Spirit of promise. Not the Holy Spirit of works. Wouldn't that be crazy if that was his name? The Holy Spirit of you better try harder? No one earns the Spirit. No one is ever good enough for the Holy Spirit. But he's promised and given to everyone who asks and believes freely, without cost or sacrifice on your behalf. He is given. And it says he seals you. He comes in and he seals you. So the word sealed is just full of meaning and treasures for us to discover. And so we're going to look at four ways. And this is the meat of what we're looking at. Four ways that the word sealed can minister to us and bless us. Four ways that we can understand the depths of the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. Number one, a seal... In the, old test, in, the, in the old day, olden days, and even today, speaks of a finished transaction. Just like John chapter 19, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. Which is one Greek word, telestai. Telestai. And when he said that, it means paid in full. It's in the past tense. It's finished. It's paid in full. When a Roman citizen was convicted of a crime, the law said um, on the day that he was slammed into prison, uh, they prepared what's called a certificate of debt that listed all the crimes that he was convicted of on it. And they nailed it to the cell door for all to see. And it remained nailed there so all would be assured that he served his full sentence and paid in full the penalty of his crimes. When Jesus shouted the Greek word to Telestai on the cross, it was a very familiar phrase. People knew what he was talking about. It was the same word that would be stamped across the certificate of debt after the criminal completed his prison term. It would literally mean paid in full for all your crimes. Then the criminal was given the certificate He was given the certificate and he would be able to produce it and show that his crimes were paid in full. It would say, to Telestai, right on it. He could never be a victim of double jeopardy or paying the same, paying the price for the same crime twice. Because people would say, hey, weren't you the guy that stole the stuff 
And he could say freely, yes, I was. But it's been paid for. I paid my dues. I paid for my crime. And he didn't have to live his life in fear or lies anymore. Because the sin has been out in the open and dealt with. You know, that's funny about that story I told you guys about lying. Because I didn't tell my parents for 10, well, 15 years. I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, you know, they're going to be so mad because they sent me three years to a private school. It's like a million dollars. I don't know. They're going to be so upset. And, you know, they just, I, I, I finally mustered up the courage one day to just be like, ah, you know, remember that time when I did this? And they're like, yeah, I remember that. And I was like, yeah, it was all fake. And they were just like, what? <laughs> that is ridiculous. It's pretty funny. But I could come with just saying, it's finished, it's paid for, it's, it's okay. And that's what would happen back then. So, sealed, when the Holy Spirit comes and seals you, he writes to Telestai on your heart. It's paid for. All your crimes are paid for. So you don't have to live in secrecy or hiding it anymore for 15 years from your loving parents. You can just be, hey, I was a sinner. And it's all paid for. Number two, it's a mark of ownership. A sealing back in the day was a mark of ownership. See, he's writing this to Ephesus, okay? Now listen what happened there. Buyers of timber from the forests in Asia Minor would select trees that they would, when they would cut them down and they would stamp them with a buyer's seal. And they floated them downstream. No one went with them. They just put the, put the log in the water and it floated downstream. Maybe that's what you feel like in your life. But when they would get to the port in Ephesus and they'd start looking through the logs, they would be able to identify them by the stamps or the seals that indicated who the owner was. In Revelation, the book, we see a, this, this same sealing conveyed um, when he would go through and he sealed the people on the earth who believed and he would seal them with a mark on their foreheads. In seven, Revelation 7.3, it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So the question is, who owns us now? Well, when you believe, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, God's spirit. Another example is given in Ezekiel chapter 9. You'll see how this fits together. Before he destroyed Jerusalem, the Lord told Ezekiel, go through the midst of the city and even through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations being committed in the midst. That was just the sign that they believed God, that they trusted God. And the Hebrew word, for Mark is the Hebrew letter Tav, which is written like an X or a cross. So, this marked the men as protected from God's wrath and destruction. Because believers are sealed and in the same sense have that mark or the cross put upon them on their foreheads showing that they belong to Jesus who will deliver us from the wrath to come.
1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, We wait for his Son from heaven, and, uh, which he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the second way that we're sealed is we're sealed in ownership and away from wrath. Which always brings up that great point, is God mad at you? And the answer is no. He will never be mad at you when you believe. Well, he deserves to be mad at me. I've done some pretty bad stuff. That's true. But he already got mad at Jesus for you. That's the gospel. And so you're sealed. He owns you. And you will never face his wrath. Ever. Anytime something bad happens, it is not because God is mad at you. Ever. He can discipline you sometimes, but he's not mad at you. And there's a big difference between a parent who lovingly disciplines their child and a parent who hates their child. Doesn't, they're not the same thing. So we can always trust the Lord in that way. The number three way that sealing can be understood is a bond of security. Setting a seal to prevent something from being opened, like you guys have, like in Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf takes the ring and he puts it in, then he puts the little seal on it. Nerd quote. <laughs> he seals it, right? Well, that happens in the Bible, too. Daniel in the lion's den, they set a royal seal on that. When Christ was buried in the tomb, it was sealed by a royal decree as well. And this shows us, how the question is, how secure is our eternal future? Jesus declared of believers, all true believers, that his sheep, they are his sheep, and that he gives eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. Not one of them, no one, shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's in John chapter 10. So, of course, this is all under the assumption that you are in Christ, actively trusting him and believing in his work on the cross. His saving work never fails those who trust him. So, this seal is put on that never goes away as long as you're in Christ. And the fourth way that we are sealed by the Spirit, it's an imprint of authenticity or of identity. In ancient times, everyone's unique, everyone's unique seal, when pressed into wax, imprinted his identity. Maybe Gandalf's seal had like a little big G on it for Gandalf. I don't know. When God places the Holy Spirit in us, it's his signet or his identity marker in our lives. The Holy Spirit makes us look like him. His face is seen in our lives as we crucify and live as Christ. You know, it's like the face of a penny. Have you guys looked at a penny recently? They changed the back. It's all weird. It has like the shield thing now, like Captain America. But the, the old school pennies, are the good, you know, what, what do all pennies have in common? Lincoln's face. And actually, I wondered about it this week, so I googled, why do we put president's faces on our money? It's a good question, right? I had never been taught that. I didn't really know. I was like, why is that? And this is the answer that I found, is that presidents um, serve as the identity of the country. Due to this reason, their faces are printed on the money and the bills. So they really liked Lincoln. They thought he stood for everything that our country stood for. And so they put his name on our, or his face on our money. 
Isn't it interesting that in Galatians 2.20 it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Colossians 3.4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. For sealing, there is needed the softened wax, the imprint of the beloved's face, the steady pressure. I hope that when the, that when the Spirit impresses the face of our dear Lord, it's into our softened hearts and that it will stay there because that's what a seal does. It stays there. Isn't that a cool way to think of it, that he's putting his face in our life. His life is actually becoming our life. Well, back in our text in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, it says he's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit in our hearts is actually the proof that we can look to that shows us that all God's promises will be true in our lives. Now and in the future, heaven is real and the glory of it will be given to us and it will not fail. Another verse is very similar is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Now he who establishes us with you is Christ and has anointed us as God, the work of the Son, the will of the Father, anointing will, verse 22, and also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So when we're learning about the Holy Spirit as a witness, the witness of the Holy Spirit, how does it work? It works as a guarantee or proof. Paul is trying to explain to us that we have undeniable proof that we are saved. Like, I wish I had that name tag, but it doesn't work that way. I get the Holy Spirit, but it's better. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. And it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession, which means, until we die, that's all we get, is the Holy Spirit. Now, is that some sort of lack? Are we, are we missing something? No. You have everything that you need. But until the redemption of the purchased possession means, until you die, and you get to actually see it all with your hands and your eyes and your glorified body, this is the way it works. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. So how do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? I know that's the question you're asking because that's the question I ask all the time. And the, here, I'm going to answer it for you. I'm going to help you navigate this. Have you had a victory over sin in the past week? Think back on your week. Maybe you remember once this week, just once, amidst all the failure and sin, just once, when you were tempted. And I'm sure there was at least one time for all of us where you were presented with a choice to sin and you were able to say, no, I will not sin. Why were you able to do that? Why was your heart able to do that? Because of the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. 
Indeed, every spiritual victory that you have experienced in the past or will experience in the future is an affirmation that you have received the pledge of the Holy Spirit. Our present experiences of victory over the power of sin enabled by the Spirit are but a foretaste of what is yet to come when we will experience permanent, perfect victory over sin. So, what's the proof that you're saved? Your heart is empowered to overcome sin. That's the simplest way to put it. But, life looks so different if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe not on the outside. Maybe on the outside you still made choices that were loving and kind. But they were made from a sinful heart. They weren't made from a pure heart. And they were probably had ulterior motives, some selfish reason. Well, I want people to like me, so I'm going to treat them nice. We're not that way as believers. We love people, though they slay us. We're kind to people when they're mean to us. And Jesus said the same thing when he said, don't the tax collectors and Pharisees treat people nice who treat them nice? But when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he changes that. And you're the only one that knows if that's a reality in your life. You're the only one that knows. So maybe for some of you, this is like, yeah, this is the confirmation I've been looking for for years that I'm saved. I know that I desire to do right. And yes, I fail all the time and I mess up, but I know that there's a, the Spirit is in me. And so that's your confirmation. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I, I'm only in it for me. Deep down inside, I'm only in this for me. And maybe this is a moment where you turn and ask for the Spirit. Believe the gospel. See, when someone's not, not filled with the Spirit, they're an unknowing slave of sin. Even if they have a desire to be free from the dominating power of sin in their hearts, it simply evades them. Because they try to find... They, what they do is they find that Jesus is right. That if you want to try on your, on your own, your righteousness has to be better than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you want to try to keep the law, go for it. But you have to be better. And all the righteousness, all the scribes and Pharisees did all day long was do nothing but try to, try to please God, and they still failed, Jesus said. And that's the difference. Are you trying to prove it to God by your good works? Or are you just believing and just receiving His Spirit? Those are the two different ways. And that's the proof that you're saved. You're believing and receiving or you're trying. Is that clear? There's a big difference. And there's so much love there. So much freedom. And it's just a prayer way. Maybe you're thinking, though, this is maybe the case with some of us in here. I know I'm free from sin, but I messed up and sinned anyway this week. I gave into my flesh and gratified my desire. Well, here, this is for you. This, know this, okay? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
See, repentance is a fruit of a heart filled with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't say you're going to be perfect. He's not asking you to do that in your own life. But he does ask you to repent. When you fail, when your flesh gets the best of you, repent, he says, and you have a clean slate. It's wonderful. That's a proof that you're saved. If your heart longs for the forgiveness that comes from Jesus only, Or when you sin, are you trying to cover it up? When you sin, are you just trying not to get caught? Or does your heart long to get right with Jesus? That's the proof. That's a believer. And the second thing you need to know, if you messed up and sinned, Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The answer is never trying harder. It's walking with the Spirit. I made up a little rhyme for us to remember this today. Read your Bible and pray. Abide in Christ all day. And your flesh will get out of the way. Well, how do I abide? How do I walk more with him? How do I get more of the Holy Spirit? How can I experience his life in my own? You know, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It's all about the word, guys. That's why we spend time studying here. That's why we have men's Bible study and women's Bible study and why I hope that you guys read your Bibles because that's the mark of a disciple. That's what will help you to not have these weeks where you failed and your flesh came up and you just were a jerk and a half. It'll help. Be in the Word. And your discipleship will increase. So, the witness of the Holy Spirit says, just to summarize, you can know your mind because you look like me, because you walk with me, because you believe the gospel. This is completely real. It's more real than the world will ever know. And, but yet the world looks at us and they think, you guys go to church and it's all imaginary and it's all fake and there's nothing of real substance and why don't you get to school and learn something that matters? But we know that the Holy Spirit is real because we've been made alive spiritually and they're dead spiritually. The world can't know. But we've been made alive. We know that this is real, but we doubt I know you do, because I do too. But we have a fountain of living water flowing from our hearts. We even have spiritual gifts given to us. And these things are so real, guys. The Spirit is real, and there's proof. But it's not proof that we like to see. I wish it was a a, a shawl I put on, or a hat that said, Holy Spirit, man. I wish it was something I could see. I wish it was, honestly, I wish it was something other people could see. So they could be like, this guy is cool. This guy has it going on. This guy is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But it doesn't work like that. It's all inside. It's all invisible. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stop there. We've learned of the, the will of God the Father the work of God the Son, and now the witness of the Holy Spirit. And 
And we're going we're gonna to bow our eyes and close, bow our heads and close our eyes. Why would you bow your eyes? I don't know. It's a miracle I'm alive. And, and with everyone's eyes closed and, and just trying to ignore the world around us for a minute, Forget that you're in uncomfortable wooden seats. Forget that someone maybe forgot to put on deodorant and there's a weird smell. Forget the things you hear and realize that there's a spiritual world around inside us and that the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is drawing you And as you believe in him, he's sealing you. And it's everything that you need. And if you've never known for sure that you were saved, and if you've never known that you have this Holy Spirit, and you want to ask him, just raise your hand and we'll pray together. I just want you to know, like I know, that the Holy Spirit is in me. And if you're like me and your flesh was alive this week and you wanted to die, we're going to pray to be filled with the Spirit again. We're going to pray and ask Him. What's the result of praying and asking? He will answer us. Jesus, we, Lord, we bow before you. There's no pride left when we look at you on the cross and realize that should have been us. And Jesus, Lord, forgive us for all the times when we try to cover up our sin or try to convince people that we don't have sin. Jesus, we are sinners. And we're so grateful that you give your Holy Spirit to sinners. And Lord God, we seek only you. We seek your heart, God. We want the forgiveness that flows from you. And Lord, we confess our sins. Just openly, Lord. We want nothing hidden between us and you. And in doing that, Lord, and in that faith, Lord, we know that we are saved forever. Saved and sealed and set free in every way. And God, that that causes us to worship you right now. It causes us to understand that your spirit is real. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, I pray you would bring salvation into our lives in every way. Lord, I pray we would be bold. We ask for boldness now to preach your gospel to people. 
everyone who needs to hear, Lord God, make us bold. Because we are shy and we are scared and we are small and we are few. And we are not the smartest, the most eloquent, and we don't have all the answers. But Jesus, you are the answer. Even if we just tell people Jesus is the answer. Lord God, your gospel bears fruit. So Lord, we surrender to you. Our way of doing things doesn't get anything done. But Jesus, you have done great things. And you're doing great things in our hearts, in our lives, in this city. Open our eyes to see the spiritual realities, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.